0: Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth. It's great to have you with us. Brian, our Bible teacher, begins a brand new series today called Seven Ideas That Turn the World Upside Down. They're obviously Christian ideas because this is a Bible teaching programme, but they're nevertheless ideas that give real hope to the world today, as they have throughout previous centuries. The only difference is that today, modern advances in communications technology enables us to broadcast the ideas instantly over the entire world. You are playing your small part in this great enterprise by tuning in to the first talk, which is about our eternal destiny. What the Bible tells us will happen when our life down here comes to an end. So, let's go to Brian to tell us more. Thanks.
1: Yes, our first idea... His death is not the end. We're not going to stay dead. Oxford professor John Lennox says he was traveling on the train to London and there was sitting beside him a man in his late 50s who was reading what was obviously a scientific article. Lennox said, I see you're a scientist. He said, that's right. I'm a metallurgist. What are you? I'm a mathematician, Lennox replied. Lennox next took out a New Testament and started to read it and could see after a few moments the other fellow was glancing over to see what book it was he was reading. So he made it easy for him to see what it was. And after a moment or two he said, "'Excuse me, you're reading the New Testament.' Lennox said, "'That's right,' and went on reading. And after three minutes he said, "'I don't want to disturb you, but you did say you were a mathematician, and now you're reading the New Testament. How is this possible?' At that point Lennox asked him, "'Have you got any hope?' the metallurgist went white and started to shake. And after a moment or two, he said, I guess we'll all muddle through. But Lennox didn't let him away with that. He said, you know, that's not what my question was. Have you got any personal hope? And he said, none whatsoever. Lennox then said, and you ask me why I'm reading the New Testament? The New Testament of the Bible, a copy of which was handed over that day, points to a personal hope that extends beyond the grave for those who receive its message. At a time when the Apostle Paul was defending Christianity he said, I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. So a personal hope that stretches beyond the grave is a major defining feature of biblical Christianity. Christianity gives hope. The first of seven uniquely Christian and totally revolutionary ideas which this series will explore is just that death is not the end but that we can have a hope in God that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Christianity is unique in making the bold claim that all dead people will hear the voice of God's Son and exit their tombs in bodily resurrection bound for one of two destinies. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Notice, Jesus plainly says that all will be bodily raised. How better could he prove the authority of his words than by his own bodily resurrection after his sacrificial death on the cross? Professor Thomas Arnold, former chair of history at Oxford, stated, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. As such, then, it gives objective, testable and decisive evidence for the Christian faith. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your Christian faith also is vain. Christians, Jews, and most informed atheists agree that Jesus was crucified and buried. The crucial belief for Christianity is that he was also resurrected, proving he's the Son of God, and the unique way of salvation for all who truly believe in him. As Paul says, this is the critical evidence for Christianity. And what's exciting is that it's testable as an objective fact of history and in exactly the same way that any other historical claim can be established as fact. The questions we need to ask are, what's the evidence? And which possible explanation best fits the evidence? Beginning with the evidence for the empty tomb then, Matthew's Gospel goes on to support the claim of Jesus' resurrection By volunteering the information that the guards who had been assigned to stand watch over the tomb of Jesus came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. That's found in Matthew chapter 28. So an alternative explanation that the disciples simply stole Jesus' body, was the first to be put forward by the earliest opponents of Christianity. But I want you to notice that this was in order to explain away the empty tomb. We shouldn't skim over this. The point was conceded at the time by those hostile to Christianity that the tomb was standing empty. Now for the evidence of eyewitnesses. The Gospels report that women were the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb and the risen Christ. But the testimony of women was not legally accepted in that culture then. So it's unlikely the Gospel writers would use it if they were simply inventing a story. The Apostle Paul also appealed to eyewitness evidence for Jesus' resurrection in order to show that Christianity is true. In the 15th chapter of Corinthians he wrote that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And after that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Why did Paul add that last remark about most of the eyewitnesses still being alive at that time? This level of detail is evidence of a genuine account. But more than that, surely it was inviting the audience to go and interrogate the eyewitnesses themselves. And the only people we know of who actually questioned early eyewitnesses changed their verdict and became believers. Which brings us finally to the evidence of transformed lives. There are two outstanding examples. James, the Lord's half-brother, and the rabbi, Saul from Tarsus. Their U-turn, from total disbelief and violent hostility is hard to explain if the resurrection never happened. Concerning the others, Mark tells us in his Gospel how at the first they all forsook Jesus and fled. But something immensely significant must have happened to that small band of frightened and humiliated men for less than two months later. They went back into Jerusalem to preach boldly and at the threat of death that Jesus Christ was alive. Luke records them saying, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 4 and verse 30. Many of them would go on to lose their lives for sticking to their story, their version of events. Or I know some people will say that, you know, people will die for any weird thing they passionately believe to be true. But that's not what resurrection deniers are asking us to accept. If Christ did not rise from the dead then his followers invented it all as some enormous hoax. And what we're expected to accept is that these early Christians died for the sake of a lie which they themselves had invented. That's not at all likely. Now, if you're a fair-minded person, I want to set you a challenge. You see, one famous sceptic said that we should only accept a miracle has taken place if to disbelieve it would require us to accept something which seems even less likely. So take the various explanations that are offered as fitting the evidence. For example, that Jesus' body was only stolen, that the witnesses were just hallucinating, or that Jesus managed somehow to survive and was revived in that cold tomb. Take all these ideas, as well as the view that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and measure each one of them against just those three evidences that we've looked at, the empty tomb the number of eyewitnesses and the suddenly emboldened Christians who started Christianity and ask yourself which of these explanations explains more of the evidence more convincingly than any other. And now let me share this illustration with you if I may. It's especially for those who'd want to rule out anything which is inexplicable in terms of our understanding of natural order. A man one day put 20 British pounds into his bedside drawer The next day, he put another £20 into that same drawer. Then on the third day, he counts the money in the drawer and finds it amounts to only £15. How can that be? How is it possible that the laws of arithmetic have been broken? Ah, you say, they've not. The laws of arithmetic have not been broken, but it seems as if the laws of England have been broken by some thief breaking in and stealing some of the money that he'd put there. The thief wasn't a prisoner to the laws of arithmetic when he stole the money. And neither was God a prisoner to the laws of nature when he became a glorious intruder into our history. But not only did Jesus himself come back to life after death, he also promised that all who place their trust in him will be able to live forever with him even after death. This has power to give hope and meaning, a hope and meaning which is not wiped out by death. Christians need never fear death, But can actually look forward to it as a blessing.
2: Sing for us, then for us, Death shall loss for us, then the loss is for us, for us, for us, for us, Hallelujah, <speaking in> the rain, <water> <speaking> and the rain, the rain, and the rain, and the rain, and the the rain, and We shall rise, we shall rise, the We shall rise, the
0: Like all the other series, this one also has a transcript booklet of all the talks, so if you'd like one, or more than one copy for group Bible study or to pass on to friends, then make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Seven Ideas. You can also download our booklets via the internet or you can order by email or by post. So first of all, I'll give you the postal address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive. Leicester, L-E-5-6-L-N-U-K. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you wish, you can also download uh, audios, uh, MP3s, that is, and, and podcasts of some past programmes. Uh, just go to www.searchfortruth dot org dot uk and some titles of search for truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle ebooks type uh, search for truth series into the search box and then uh, you'll get us but more back copies are constantly being made available uh, so you can go on from time to time make repeated visits but uh, we have to go now so thank you for the pleasure of your company but do join us next week for another talk in this series and until then it's very best wishes from Brian David our singers and me John so goodbye and may God richly bless you
2: rise we shall rise we shall rise on